Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. You're listening to Inside of You with Michael Rosenbaum. Uh, thanks for joining me. Thanks for being here choosing this podcast Uh, there's a lot of other podcasts out there and uh, if you're here for jk simmons i hope if you like the podcast you know this is a little podcast we talk about real stuff it's not celebrity bullshit it's we get into mental health ryan we get into it's a little bit of celebrity bullshit just to start and then you start with it but then you got to get in you can't just jump in with real serious shit you gotta dip your toes in yeah and uh i hope you like the show and if you do subscribe if you like the interview if if you like me uh, chances are i don't know what you're gonna like but i hope you'll follow us at inside of you podcast on the uh instagram and facebook at inside of you pod on the twitter and you could uh watch on youtube subscribe there write a review apple wherever you want it really helps the podcast great guest today man this is this is a legend legend um what an actor sometimes you have these guys on that you're like oh my gosh he came on the podcast and that's jk simmons and uh boy did we talk about everything he was really uh open open mm-hmm. about his life um open about you know his brother comes on later in the podcast david david simmons very brave brave soul who uh, attempted suicide twice and they came up with this uh amazing organization the ubu project and i was like what does it stand for but it's actually you be you you know what i mean and it's uh the prevention of youth suicide addiction and bullying through social emotional performing arts integration residencies Look, there's a concert coming up Saturday, January 28th, 7.30 p.m. at Scottsdale Desert Stages Theater. And uh, please head there or donate. Go to ubuproject.org for more information. It's a wonderful podcast. Also, look, thank you for watching Talkville uh, and supporting that podcast with me and Tom Welling, a rewatch Smallville uh, podcast. But don't forget this little podcast here. Um patreon.com slash inside of you join patreon support the podcast without my patrons i couldn't do it there's all sorts of prizes and things and uh you know connections and and packages i send to top tier patrons and support the podcast if you like Uh, a little extra something wouldn't hurt hopefully it won't hurt patreon.com slash inside of you and we need you also if you want to uh look at the inside you online store you can go there there's autographed smallville stuff scripts lexmas scripts and lunch boxes and inside of you merch and also my band sunspin guys we just came out with our new album i have to promote it sunspin.com you can go to merch cds autographs zooms go streaming follow us on the streaming platforms just go to sunspin the new album is never is what it is there's uh, another album from last year that we did Really proud of it, and there's no other way to promote it than to promote to you guys. Um, you know, it's not like I'm a big rock star here, and I can get millions of people to listen to the album. We're proud of it. I hope you listen to it. I hope you enjoy it. Uh, you can get merch there. We're uh, we're doing a stage it show, and that stage it show is this weekend, Saturday at 5 p.m. Pacific Standard Time. Me and Rob and, and another special guest. We are going to sing songs from the album and some covers, and it's a blast. We'll call your names out as we see them on the screen. And uh, go to stageit.com 
type in Sunspin for the five o'clock show next Saturday, or you can go to sunspin.com and get tickets. But really, we'd appreciate your, if you've never listened to a show, I think you're going to really enjoy it. Uh, I'm very proud of it. And I believe uh, that's it. I believe that's all. Why don't we do it? Why don't we just jump into one of the greats? Uh, let's get inside of J.K. Simmons. It's my point of view. You're listening to Inside of You with Michael Rosenbaum. Inside of You with Michael Rosenbaum was not recorded in front of a live studio audience. J.K., how are you? Uh, I am fine. How are you? I'm good. You know, we met at the, uh, uh, it was the, the benefit for the Australia, uh, you know, the, the thing they had for the brush fires like a couple years yeah. ago and we talked and I told you my Paul Giamatti story about how he walked in on me at a hotel when I was with my girlfriend on the bed and some, right. do you remember that? Yeah. I, Giamatti, apparently he does that all the time. <laughs> he just walks in it's on like, people while they're, yeah, it's like a thing with him. <laughs> It was amazing because I remember he walked in and I don't know why they gave him a key to my room. It was an accident, but he goes, oh, 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 oh wow. Well, I'm sorry. And he just, he just left. And, and the next day I saw him, he was doing an interview and we locked eyes and he looked at me, he goes, oh my God, oh my God. And he ran up to me, he goes, this is the best story. Can I tell this story? I'm like, yeah, of course you could tell this story. It was, uh, it was pretty good. But uh, listen, I'm good friends with Jason Reitman, as I know you are. And uh, Jason, I said, hey, I'm interviewing JK. You want to say anything? And he just said, he texted me, says, I love JK. I absolutely love this man. He clearly is the connective tissue between all my movies. He stands for a kind of craft that almost doesn't exist anymore. A sheer unparalleled level of talent match with a work ethic you cannot find in almost any other performer. The ability to be unrelentingly terrifying and in the next moment, completely tender one of the luckiest moments of my career was meeting him on thank you for smoke well i mean that's uh you know that's goosebumpy kind of praise coming from <laughs> uh jason and uh you know that that meeting on um on thank you for smoking almost did not happen because it, mostly because i'm so clueless about show business in general um i mean i had read the script i was going into audition for Jason back in, back in the auditioning days. Oh yes. I missed that. And, uh, and, um, had to schlep all the way out to Santa Monica from my place in the Hills. And the, the kids are in elementary school and, you know, things are very, uh, busy at home. And, and I slept out there to the casting director's office, park my car, plug the meter, you know, get the, get the, uh, into the office and I'm waiting. And as usual, you know, you're waiting and you're waiting and you're waiting and, uh, my parking meter is almost expired. And I'm thinking, you know what? I mean, maybe I just get in the car and go back home because the kids are about to get out of school. I can go pick them up, you know, and I'm, and I'm at the parking meter at my car deciding whether I'm going to plug the meter or just say, screw this audition. You know, it's just another audition. And, uh, and this young guy comes up and he goes, Oh, JK, JK. Why are you? And I, and I was, you know, at that, time in my life, it was still somewhat surprising when somebody would encounter me on the street and know my name. Uh, so great to meet you and blah, blah, blah. And I sort of reached out and shook this guy's hand. And it was clear to him the way I stared at him. I had no idea who he was. He goes, I'm, I'm Jason. I'm Jason Reitman. I'm so sorry I'm late. And, da, 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 and you know, come on in. Let's, let's, you know, let's do this thing. And, you know, I semi-reluctantly went, yeah, okay. All right. <laughs> went in. Had a little chat with Jason, and uh, the rest obviously is history. You actually auditioned that day? 
Yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, he he confessed that he basically had me in mind, you know, from very early on to play BR in Thank You for Smoking. And uh, his one concern, I, I think, at, at the audition was, he said, listen, I, I, I'm i a big fan of yours. I would love to work with you and have you play this part. He said, my concern is you're so well known for the Spider-Man. I think both the first two Spider-Man movies were out by then, maybe all three. And um, he said, and here you are playing another sort of, you know, blustery boss. He said, uh, you know, how can we kind of avoid those inevitable comparisons? And I, like a smart ass, dumb ass said, uh, I don't know. I mean, I could not have a flat top wig and smoke a cigar. And, uh, and he went, yeah, okay. I, I guess we'll be good. I mean, do you find it? Cause I find it when you audition for something and you start this banter back and forth and it's fun and you're like talking, it's almost hard to then get into the audition because you're so, I mean, how do you transition into let's do the work here from, hey, how's it going? All right. Okay, let's do this. Would you rather just yeah. not say a damn word and just just go into it? Well, yeah. And and of course, you know, the first 30 years of my career, that's what happened. I was guy number 97 being ushered into the room and like, here's your name. And they find the resume and they go, ready, go. And you do the thing. So you didn't, you know, because they didn't give a damn about who you were. Right. Um, it it. it was an awkward transition to that point where they, they, you know, they have to, uh, 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 you know, your agent has said, now he's done this and this and this. So you have to treat him with this level of, <laughs> you know, and, uh, and those, those first many, many, you know, dozens or hundreds of little lighthearted conversations with directors were, were really the hardest acting there was because you're just trying to act like you're cool and relaxed. And, and, you know, in fact, you're just, as nervous as you were at those cattle calls on West 46th street, you know, where you stood in the snow for four hours before the audition in New York. Um, it was quite the transition. And now, you know, to be, to be in a position where, you know, I'm, I'm so fortunate to not need a job. Um, you know, those kinds of meetings are, are genuinely all about like, are we on the same page? Obviously I wouldn't be here if I didn't like the material, you know, do we want to go about it in ways that uh, not not necessarily exactly the same way, but you know, can we can we uh, collaborate on this effectively and and not just get along, but you know, have a a, a vision that uh, that or visions that that merge or at least overlap. Do you still get nervous? First of all, do you even audition anymore? I, I would assume you don't, but. Do you still ever have to? And if you do, do you still get nervous? Or in first days on set, when you first deliver those first lines, or is there nerves, or are you just past that? I don't. I don't audition anymore. There, there still are those those meetings with directors that uh, uh, that sometimes now are are uh, suggested by me uh, because I read something that's interesting. But I but I want to make sure you know that we're on the same page. Um, yeah, the nerves. I mean, that that first day of school thing really never goes away, or never has for me. Um, there's there's always that. Uh, you know, I don't, I don't know if it's uh, uh, nerves uh, uh, so much as just you know, I guess a little butterflies, a little a little kind of uh, you know excitement about um, you know I'm shooting something right now down in Atlanta and working with people that I hadn't worked with before. And, you know, especially when it's, you know, it's a big movie star you haven't worked with before. Um, you know, oh, you yeah. show up on set the first day and 
there's always that, uh, you know, as there always will be, I guess, <laughs> at least at least for me, that kind of, uh, um, you know, uh, childlike naivete about, um, oh, yeah, I've seen you in the movies, you know, you're a big star. <laughs> I do that, too. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Inside of You is brought to you by Factor. I love Factor Meals, Ryan. Do you know this? Yes. Why do you know this? Because I've seen them in your fridge and you've offered me some. And you've had them. And I've had them. And you love them. I do. Because I asked you every time. Mm -hmm. um, look, I spent an enormous amount of money using delivery services for food or going grocery shopping and never eating the food that I buy or too many leftovers. And it's just, I waste so much money. And, you know, Factor Meals has really changed my life in a lot of ways because they have so many different meals, like 35 different meals, more than 60 add-ons to choose from every week. And it takes just two minutes. So it doesn't matter how busy you are. It's two minutes to cook this stuff. You always have time to enjoy nutritious, great tasting meals. And that's what Factor does. Um, I, I, I just can't get over all the things they have, like filet mignon, shrimp, blackened salmon, um, their breakfast items, everything, dessert. It's it's perfect for my lifestyle. And I think it's perfect for a lot of lifestyles. Um yeah, you can crush your wellness goals this May with dietitian approved meals and ingredients that you can trust. Keep kitchen time to a minimum. Factor meals are ready in two minutes. No shopping, prepping, cooking, or cleaning up. Enjoy effortless support for your lifestyle. Choose from six menu preferences to help you manage calories, maximize protein intake, avoid meat, or simply eat well-balanced. Warm, sunnier days are calling, Michael. Well, yes, they are. Fuel up for them with Factors No Prep, No Mess Meals. Meet your wellness goals in time for summer thanks to the menu of chef-crafted meals with options like Calorie Smart, Protein Plus, and Keto. Factors Fresh, never-frozen meals are dietitian approved and ready to eat in just two minutes. It's pretty incredible. Head to factormeals.com slash inside50 and use code inside50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next month. That's code inside50 at factormeals.com slash inside50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next month while your subscription is active. Factor Meals. Inside of you is brought to you by Neurohacker. Qualia Senolytic. Let me tell you something. If you haven't tried this, you are missing out. I just sent this to my mom. I have it. I use it. It's a product that I didn't, I, they weren't even my sponsor when I was using this. And I was like, wow, why do I have more focus or energy? Why do I feel better? Why do I feel different? It's because I take Qualia Senolytic, Neurohacker. Look, if someone would have told me, Ryan, that there are science-backed ingredients that could help me feel 15 years younger in a matter of months, I wouldn't have believed it. But uh, I tried Qualiacinolytic, and the rest is history. As we age, everyone accumulates senescent cells in their body. Senescent cells may cause symptoms of aging, such as aches and discomfort, slow workout recoveries, sluggish mental and physical energy associated with that middle-aged feeling. Also known as zombie cells, they're old and worn out and not serving a useful function for our health anymore, but they could be taking up space and nutrients from our healthy cells. Much like pruning the yellowing and dead leaves off a plant, Qualia Senolytic helps remove those worn out senescent cells to allow for the rest of them to thrive in the body. And 
You just take it two days a month. The formula is non-GMO, vegan, gluten-free, and the ingredients are meant to complement one another, factoring in the combined effect of all the ingredients together. And Neurohacker Qualia Synaletic has a 100-day money-back guarantee. Oh, I have, I have more energy. Uh, I feel younger. Uh, I'm more productive. I will tell you that. I'm more productive. And uh, I feel like I have, uh, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm more enthusiastic about my life. I definitely feel that. And uh, for me, the aches and pains are less lessened by this. So that is a real important thing for me. Help resist aging at the cellular level, folks. Try Qualia Senolytic. Go to neurohacker.com slash inside. Neurohacker, N-E-U-R-O-H-A-C-K-E-R. Neurohacker.com slash inside for up to $100 off and use code inside at checkout for an additional 15% off. That's neurohacker.com slash inside for an extra 15% off your purchase. Uh, look, we're going to get into, which is in my opinion, the most important part of this uh, podcast when your brother David Simmons comes out and yeah. uh, benefiting the UBU project to prevent youth suicide, addiction, and bullying. It's the second annual light your corner of the world uh, with JK Simmons and David Simmons who is the UBU founder, and uh, that's Saturday, January 28th at 7.30 in the Desert Stages Theater in Scottsdale, Arizona. And that we're going to get him to talk about that because on this podcast, we, we it's not just celebrity talk. I like to open up about you know mental health and what we deal with as human beings, and I think why people still listen to the podcast is because they want to hear stories and, and and realize that, you know, even JK Simmons, he's, he's a human being. He, he has dealt with rejection and anxiety or maybe depression or whatever it is, mental health. And obviously your brother knows a lot about that as well as you do. So um, we'll get into that, but you know, I look at your career and I'm just like, you know, people don't look at the struggles. They don't, they don't, they don't understand how hard it can be. Some people, you know, I've worked with people who they were an overnight success that uh, just immediately, oh my God, and he's a star. And I'm one of those who've just kind of like, and I'm not a star, but I'm, you know, I'm, it's one of those things where I did something that was okay. And then something that was shit and something that was pretty good. And then shit, then, oh, that was good. Then it's kind of been like that. It's fluctuated, but you've really gone through it. And, and you look at your, your resume and I'm like over 200 films and you, you know, you got Academy Award and a British Academy Award, and all these things. Um, but you, you struggled, and I know that you've talked about this a lot, but I think it's it's interesting to hear because how many times as a young actor did you think, you know, I'm, I'm going to do something else. I'll, I'll be a teacher. I'll follow my father's footsteps. I'll be a musical director. Were there those thoughts a lot, or did they never occur to you? Well, there, there would have been more of those thoughts. First of all, I hesitate to use, uh, with regard to myself, to use the word struggle because, you know, even in those early days where where I was uh, you know not getting acting work or or sporadically getting acting work um you know I was okay I, I was just a single idiot you know and all I needed was a slice of pizza and, and a friend's couch uh, in hell's kitchen and and that's what I had a lot of the time and I and I had friends and I you know I had uh, you know uh, uh you know the capability to go out and wait tables I wasn't very good at it but um <laughs> you know uh, I, I was I was fine um you know, to me, a struggle is a, you know, a single mom, you know, working two jobs and trying to be there for her kids, or, you know, or, a, or, a, you know, whatever, a soldier in a trench somewhere. Um, uh, those are those are the, the real struggles. Um, having said that, the, the, the difficult, you know, 
times that I had trying to get a career going. I think if I genuinely had another truly viable skill set that I could have gone to, I, I might have done that, you know, when I was uh, here in New York in the early 80s. Um, not not finding acting jobs. And and one time in particular, I remember not even, you know, I was back in town after having done a regional theater job uh, in somewhere, Buffalo or Cleveland or whatever it was, and uh, not getting a job, not getting a job, uh, not even getting much in the way of auditions. And then I, you know, hit the streets looking for jobs, waiting tables. Couldn't even get that. I mean, there was, it was like nobody was hiring, you know, anywhere and i'm walking up and down every street in uh, in hell's kitchen theater district and uh complaining to my friend greg edelman uh who's a, a you know broadway guy here in new york and, and has done a lot of film and tv as well and um you know we're just he brought over the six pack and we're hanging out and he's listening to me you know whine about uh, how tough things are and the next morning the phone rings wakes me up I, I go out to, you know, look at the uh, answering machine and Greg left two $20 bills under my uh, telephone, oh, which was, man. I mean, that's, that's a solid week of, of pizza at, at that time. Uh, so uh, wow. it was, it was those kinds of little, little acts of kindness from friends that I, uh, that I look back on fondly and that I remember the most from, from that time. You know, I think we all have egos. I think you have to have some sort of ego to be in this business, to have this, I'm good, look at me, I want the attention. We all have that no matter, some people will say, no, no, I just do if I don't care about everybody else, and I think it's kind of bullshit. But, you know, the ego thing, was there, at an early age, when you're in New York struggling and doing all these things, was there ever a big party that was like, how do they not see how fucking good I am? <laughs> yeah, yeah, I mean... <clears throat> I don't know if I would phrase it exactly that way, but, you know, I mean, I, I, by the time I got to New York, I had done, you know, I'd started doing summer theater in Montana when I was in college at the Big Fork Summer Playhouse in Big Fork, Montana. Everybody wow. go there. Um, <laughs> my brother and I both worked there. Um, and then I, I spent a few years in Seattle uh, after graduating with my music degree, not knowing what I was going to do. You know, I, I still at that point thought maybe I have it in me to be an opera singer. Um, but I just kind of auditioned for for whatever came along. And I ended up being able to do a, a pretty nice variety of things. I was doing straight plays and musicals and playing the leading man and playing a wacky character part and 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 really not being typecast as anything. Right. And then I get to New York and I'm going to these cattle calls for like a leading man role. And everybody in the in the line looks like Robert Redford. And I'm just kind of this guy who's just starting to admit that he's losing his hair. And then I go to a, you know, a cattle call for some character part and, and everybody in line looks like Marty Feldman and they're all, you know, <laughs> hilarious. And, and, and I'm like, what the, where do I fit? How, how do I find work? And, and, uh, fortunately, you know, I had a few casting directors in New York in those early days, uh, Alan Filderman, Jay Bender, uh, particularly those two guys who, uh, who saw me as a versatile guy and saw me in, 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 uh, in different ways. And then I was able to do all through my regional career. And, and, you know, I hope it's continued into uh, my film and television career as Jason Reitman alluded to, you know, yeah, <laughs> to, yeah. to be able to, uh, to have opportunities to uh, show different aspects of, uh, of myself, different characters, different, uh, different uh, uh, aspects of the human condition that we're all here trying to sort of shed some light on. And sometimes 
with humor. Yeah. Did you did you uh, have a good childhood where your parents very supportive of you, loving, unconditional love, proud of you? I didn't really get that. So I always ask people this question because I'm curious as to how it was in their childhood and, and how they grew up. Uh, yeah. Well, never ask a question you don't know the answer to, right? Isn't that what they tell the, <laughs> yeah. the lawyers and the, <laughs> the interrogators? Yeah. Um, yeah, we did. Uh, my brother and sister and I absolutely did. Uh, our, our parents uh, were incredibly supportive of, of whatever we were in. And of course, we're particularly delighted. Well, not of course, because you don't know our parents. But uh, <laughs> my father was a music teacher. They met in the chorus of a musical in college at Knox College in Illinois. Um, Galesburg, Illinois. Um, Evansville, Indiana. I grew up in Indiana, Southern Indiana. There you go. Yeah. Well, we were, you know, I was born in Detroit and, Gross you know, point. spent several years in Ohio. So we're all, we got that whole Midwestern thing going We on. do. We do. Um, but our parents, obviously, very uh, supportive of, of our uh, forays into uh, the performing arts. And we all, uh, well, my brother and sister both played instruments. I, I would, I never, my hands didn't connect to my brain very well uh, uh, in terms of that. But, uh, you know, we were all singing and, and, and sometimes uh, performing in plays and this and that. And they were very supportive of that or, or whatever, or whatever sports thing I was doing or, uh, you know, whatever academic thing. Or my sister just retired uh, as a professor at the University of Washington. Um, she inherited that the, the teacher gene from my father. My brother inherited all of the above, you know, the, the, the performing artist and the teaching aspect. Um, and, uh, uh, yeah, so. That's a, a long-winded version of no. saying yes. Parents were incredibly <laughs> supportive and loving, and uh, an understanding of uh, you know what a career, uh, any career, but especially a career in the performing arts. That you know it's going to take it a while to to get off the ground. Probably. I remember my my I went to uh, Western Kentucky University in Bowling Green, Kentucky. I think Dan Fogelberg sang about it. Um, but I remember them coming to see me in a play, and they took me to Denny's because you know we're a classy family. And we sat there and uh, I said, I'm going to be an actor. And my dad looked at me and I never forget. He goes, eat your steak. <laughs> I never forget it. That's what he said. I don't think anybody <clears throat> believed in me to do something like that. And I, I don't blame them. I don't blame people for going, look, I small town. I wasn't popular. I was the shortest kid in school. I didn't know who I was. I was just out there. And um, if anybody would have, you would have asked them what I would have done. They never would have thought I would have become a successful actor in Hollywood. Was there something, because for me, I've talked about it, but I, I did a play in high school and I remember the popular kids in the hallway the next day saying, hey, you were funny, who never talked to me. And I said, oh, not being me. I've talked about this. Then that's the way I'll do it. And was there something that you remember <clears throat> a moment of, validation or applause that made you feel like I'm doing something right? Well, there were hundreds really. I mean, I mean, you know, along the way, go, going back to, you know, my classmates, you know, my, my teammates from the, from the football team in eighth grade laughing when Kyle Lafferty and I played Tweedledum and Tweedledee <laughs> in Alice in Foodland. <laughs> um, and, uh, and, and then, and then I think the same year, the next year I played, uh, I played bottom in a midsummer night's dream. Uh, in actually not a Midsummer Night's Dream, all the tinker scenes from a Midsummer Night's Dream, Pyramus and Thisbe, for those of you Shakespearean scholars out there. Um, and, and just kind of, it was, it was a great, uh, coming together of, of different, uh, aspects of, of society, you know, in, in my junior high and high school, you know, in those days in the, 
you know, late sixties, early seventies, it was like, you know, there were the jocks, there were the hippies, the geeks, there were the, the brainiacs, yeah. the geeks, you know, there were the theater nerds, you know, there were these little clicks and they really didn't overlap. You know, you couldn't be a jock and a hippie. And, and, and I was struggling with that because I was feeling, I was sort of pulled by, by a variety of, of different little micro societies there. And that was one of the few times where I felt like, uh, you know, not that I was consciously attempting to do that, but, but those, those little groups kind of intermingled and, and there was a, a, a commonality there that, that was uh, uncommon. Right. I mean, it's just, you know, you, you, your, one of your first roles, you did like all my children, right? Like, you, I know you don't talk about that a lot, but like, I always find these soap operas, people go, oh, it's a soap opera, but the amount of dialogue these folks have to learn and oh, go up. It was terrifying. I, I, I couldn't do it. When I say that, I really, I could not do that. I, I would, I would explode. How did you, what were your, what was your preparation like trying to do something like that? Well, I, I was very, very nervous. I think my first time on All My Children, I played a couple of different characters on that a few years apart. My first time I played a Canadian Mountie <laughs> and Erica Kane, for those of you who are familiar with Susan Lucci's character oh, yes. for a thousand years on that show was, was stranded on cobbler's Island somewhere in the great white North. And I was a Canadian Mountie, not like, you know, uh, Nelson Eddy, uh, not wearing the, the, the red outfit, but you know, in the office. And, uh, <laughs> oh, and, God. and I did my first episode, learned my lines and, and, you know, she had more lines than I did. So, so it was just a question of not screwing up and, uh, you know, hitting your mark and, and just, trying to be there and trying not to hyperventilate and, and, you know, all the experience doing theater all those years and having those opening night jitters uh, helped, I think, prepare me for that. Um, the writing, of course, is not exactly, you know, Shakespeare or Arthur Miller, but, um, but I, you know, I felt like I, I pulled it off. I acquitted myself. Okay. I didn't soil my pants. <laughs> I, I, I didn't, you know, fall off my chair and, and it was fine. And then, <laughs> then I was called back. I was living with my aunt and uncle at the time off and on between uh, their house in Westchester where my five cousins grew up or, you know, couch surfing in Hell's Kitchen. And um, and my my recurring line in my three or four episodes that I ended up doing was we can't get out to Cobbler's Island to rescue Erica Kane because it's fogged in. So I must have said 13 different times. Did you tell him about the fog? And and I, of course, my brilliant actor brain realized after I had done my first episode, when I went back to do my second, oh, wait, I'm Canadian, eh? So I need to say, did you tell him about the fog? And so, so this character that I was playing between the first episode and the second episode, which were probably a few episodes apart, you know, in the grand scheme, uh, I'm guessing some of the diehard All My Children fans kind of wondered, wait a minute, is this guy... It's the same guy, right? Why does he sound like a completely different human? Knowing you, you probably did really a lot of research with that uh, with that dialogue yeah, or whatever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Was, of course, we didn't have computers at the time, so I was at the library reading about the RCMP. Yeah. <laughs> what year did you do A Few Good Men on Broadway? 1990. That was uh, technically my second Broadway show. The first one was a little flop musical. And I joined the cast of A Few Good Men. They'd been running for several months, and I uh, I got hired to be the new understudy for the colonel and the doctor, which is a character who's not 
in the movie, so people won't know who that is. Now, this is before the movie, right? Well, before the movie, it was, I mean, Aaron Sorkin was just some kid from Scarsdale who got lucky and had a play on Broadway. And, you know, I mean, not lucky, happened to be a genius writer, but, you know, nobody knew who he was. Uh, and, uh, and, you know, aside from the, the couple of movie and TV actors that they had headlining both the original and then, and then the replacements, when I, when I uh, joined, it was Brad Whitford in the Tom Cruise role. Wow. Um, and, uh, you know, the, the, the rest of the cast, uh, uh, Ron Perlman was playing the colonel that I, uh, whom I understudied, the rest of the cast were, you know, relatively unknown New York theater guys. You know, I, is this is this true that Aaron Sorkin heard that you were going up because you were the understudy and that you were going on to play Colonel Jessup and he raced to the theater when he heard you were going on and he was just, to this day, he said he was blown away by this powerful performance. And, and is it one of your favorite performances that you've done in your career that you can recall? It absolutely is. Um, honestly, if I had to choose the one moment that, that, uh, uh, that was the most profound and meaningful to me, uh, uh, as an actor, it was, it was those four or five, uh, performances that I got to go on for Ron, who was incredibly generous and, and, and Brad and, and the whole rest of the cast who were so welcoming and opening and wonderful. And then, and then, yeah, the highlight of that being that, that Aaron came uh, to see the show. And I don't recall if it was my, my first performance, I guess it probably was. Um, and, uh, and he, uh, uh, that interaction is, is, is one of the, the, the most fulfilling uh, uh, moments of, of my career as an actor, because I, 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 his acknowledgement that I had fulfilled what he put on the page was, was, uh, you know, all, all I've ever strived for as an actor. Inside of you is brought to you by Shopify. You know, I use Shopify. You guys go on the, you know, inside of you online store and you see how easy it is to navigate for you. It's so amazing. Shopify. I can't think of anyone else that would do this. Uh, the right way like Shopify does. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage, Shopify's there to help you grow. It's so easy to navigate. And when you want to add discounts, like for instance, I just had a discount where I put uh, Michael 15 and that was my discount code. How much of a percent? 15% off the total order. Easy. Adding products. It's so easy. You put a picture. You just upload a picture. You put a description. It, it, it does everything for you. And the analytics are so easy to use. Uh, this is the most selling product. Oh, I should get more of those. This is the least selling product. This is how much I made for this month compared to last year or last month. It's so easy to navigate. I feel like a pro and Shopify has really helped me do that. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell everywhere from their all-in-one e-commerce platform to their in-person POS system. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify has got you covered. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout up to 36% better compared to other leading commerce platforms and sell more with less effort thanks to Shopify Magic, your AI-powered all-star. Plus, Shopify's extensive help resources are there to support your success every step of the way. 
Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash inside, all lowercase. Shopify.com slash inside now to grow your business no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash inside. Inside of you is brought to you by Neurohacker, Qualia Synaletic. I just sent some of this to my mother. And she's starting to notice the differences mm-hmm. in herself. And, she, and because I noticed my mother was always had brain fog and, and she couldn't think clearly. And, and you know, and, and I, I was like, well, this stuff works for me. And what's great is I didn't even, they weren't even a sponsor when I started using this. Um, have you heard of Synaletics yet? Well, listen, it's a class of ingredients discovered less than 10 years ago. And they're being called one of the biggest discoveries of our time for helping to promote healthy aging, and helping to enhance your physical prime. Your life goals in your career and beyond require productivity. But let's be honest, the aging process is not our friend when it comes to endless energy and productivity. That's why I use Qualia Senolytic. As we age, everyone accumulates senescent cells in their body. Senescent cells may cause symptoms of aging, such as aches and discomfort, slow workout recoveries, hello, sluggish mental and physical energy, hello, associated with that middle age feeling, hello. Also known as zombie cells, they are old and worn out and not serving a useful function for our health anymore, but they could be taking up space and nutrients from our healthy cells. Much like pruning the yellowing and dead leaves off a plant, Qualia Senoletic helps remove those worn out senescent cells to allow for the rest of them to thrive in the body. And you just take it two days a month. That's it. The formula is non-GMO, vegan, gluten-free, and the ingredients are meant to complement one another, factoring in the combined effect of all ingredients together. And they must believe in their product because they have a 100-day money-back guarantee. It's pretty amazing. I felt higher energies. Uh, I feel uh, more focused, um, younger. I have to say, because a lot of these things make me feel younger. I feel more uh, productivity happening in my life, a little more enthusiastic. Help resist aging at the cellular level. Try Qualia Senoletic. Go to neurohacker.com slash inside for up to $100 off and use code inside at checkout for an additional 15% off. That's neurohacker.com slash inside for an extra 15% off your purchase. Thanks to Neurohacker for sponsoring today's episode. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. The products and statements are not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. All I want, this is how selfish I am and childlike, is I'm, I'm, first of all, I'm upset that I couldn't, I didn't see that performance. Because knowing you in movies like Whiplash and, and the shows Oz and all these great performances you've done, I, I, I can only imagine you saying you can't handle the truth. And God, would I pay for you to be that intense, get back to that moment from 32 years ago and just say, you can't handle the truth. I, I would die to see that. Did you? Do you think when you watched Jack Nicholson do it, did you think I was right up there with him? It was, I, I, I'll be 100% honest, those of us who did the play saw the movie, uh, as wonderful as it was, uh, and, and were like, the play was better. Um, wow. In, 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 in many ways. And, and uh, you know, look, I'm not going to say, you know, that's the beauty of, a part of the beauty of, of what we do. I mean, people like to hand out trophies and awards for the best actor and the best this and that. But, you know, the reality is it's about as apples and oranges as, as you can be. 
Jack Nicholson. You know, when I played that part, I was 35 years old. That was what the character was that Aaron wrote in the play. Right. Right. He was not a fat cat who was, uh, you know, sitting on his throne. I don't know how old Jack was when he did it, but he was, you know, the character because he was the guy playing it. I mean, because he was the guy playing it, he was it was brilliant. But it was a different character, too, because he was an older guy. The character as written is a guy who's he's on his way to the White House, you know, or he's at the very least going to be secretary of defense. Right. Or, you know, a senator. I mean, he, he's he's a guy who's who's on his way somewhere and not a guy who's, you know, who's settled in to to this is, you know, I'm the king of this domain and that's it. So that to me was the fundamental difference uh, between between those characters. How do or you, those versions of that character? Right. How do you um you I look at you and you have a great childhood and you're a great husband and father, I assume. I'm not your ch- children. Uh, <laughs> but how do you find that place and where do you go to when you snap, when you become that guy in whiplash, when you become Jessup, when you become when that moment comes, how do you go into that dark place? And did you ever experience such darkness that that helped you with that moment or those moments? You know, I, I honestly, I think however, you know, easy and, and, and privileged and, and, and full of love, you know, your childhood and, and your life is, we all have difficulties. We all have disappointments. We all have things that, you know, break our hearts or piss us off. You know, we all have things uh, that we're, you know, uh, uh, an anger, I think, that we carry around to some extent. The the um, the common thread, and people shake their heads at this, but between those three characters that you mentioned, and and what is what is to me so important as an actor, almost always, is that for for Lieutenant Colonel Nathan Jessup in A Few Good Men, uh, for Fletcher in Whiplash, uh, for Vern Schillinger in Oz. Those incredibly deeply angry, powerful men with their powerful emotions, it all comes out of love. However twisted that love may be, <laughs> you know, in Vern Schillinger's place, it's like, boy, I love me some white people. You know, I mean, yeah. that, I mean, that's the way he views his, right. his, his philosophy, his worldview, you know, yeah. not, not that I hate this, that I love that. You know, right, right. Uh, in, in Colonel Jessup's place, so brilliantly, brilliantly written, you know, unit, core, God, country. That's what he loves in that order. And that's what motivates everything he does, including, you know, the illegal, you know, uh, dangerous, you know, horrible, immoral stuff and the justification for it. it it's uh, it, it's always, you know, uh, uh, Fletcher loves jazz so much and is seeking perfection every second of his waking life, that when anybody or anything gets in the way of that, you know, his love for that, then they're going to by God hear about it. Have you ever really snapped like one of these characters in real life? Have you ever lost your mind? Uh, I, a few times, mostly when I'm in the car by myself on the one Oh one. But, but, a very few times at work and not, not quite to that extent, not, you know, not throwing any of those, you know, on set ram tantrums, right, rampages right. that we unfortunately have seen on video <laughs> of whoever. Yeah. Um, but I, I, I mean, I've, uh, and it's usually, 
it's usually comes from a place of either, uh, uh, you know, what I in the moment see as some kind of artistic integrity that is being compromised or, or, or just a, a, a personal, um, uh, uh, you know, just, just meanness or unkindness coming from, you know, somebody in power, whether it's a director or producer or, or whatever it may be. And, and those, those are the, you know, the handful of times, uh, uh, that I, that I, you know, have, have <laughs> raised my voice and, and said things that I, that I, I look back and, and, you know, wish that I'd maintained my composure a little better. Fortunately, as far as I know, there were, there were no cameras rolling, uh, during those times. Um, <laughs> <laughs> there, there may be audio recordings out there. <laughs> um, and, you know, I mean, yeah, yeah. There, there are times in, you know, in, in real life when I was, when I was whatever, you know, heartbroken or betrayed or, or whatever, when I was, uh, uh, you know, lost control. Um, yeah. Fortunately, uh, there's, there's uh, the, the person that I was born to be and the person that my parents raised, you know, I, uh, uh, I never, I never lost it enough to uh, to take it out on somebody in a in a way that was you know that that uh, that you couldn't take back. Right. You know, I quickly. I just think of my father's voice when he snapped when his when he was angry, and that's where I can channel it because it was the most terrifying thing. I'd rather him do anything but yell at me. Like it, it would go from like you know he was just a big guy, and that's just like when he got mad, he'd be like you know it would go from I'm not going to tell you again. From there to, what did I, you know, just, he would get so enraged and I would like, oh, oh, and you know, that's sort of how I channel that whenever I have to flip out. Um, whiplash quickly. Um, I, there's few roles, not, not many roles that I've seen where I say, not that I, I can't do it, but how did, how did he do that? How, like, it seems almost impossible. Like the role you played, the, the dialogue, the snappy, you know, the, the turning on a dime emotions changing, boom, 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 beep, beep. It was, it's not just to me, the best performance of the year that you won the Oscar, but, and I'm not kissing your ass. It's just a fact that I know a lot of actors, most actors would say it was one of the best performances I've ever seen in anything I've ever seen. And I just, I mean, what was your work ethic to prepare this? Well, I've been preparing for that my whole life. You know, when I first met Damien, Jason Reitman sent me the script for the short and the feature film of this thing called Whiplash by this kid nobody had ever heard of. I have, uh, uh, by this time, I'm in that position where we're like, I'm not auditioning, quote unquote, but we're going we're gonna to go meet, right? We're going to have lunch. I'm going to meet this Damien Chazelle. Now, first of all, I read this script and it, it is, you know, up there with, you know, a few good men, Juno, it, it, it's up there with the most brilliant things I've, I've ever read and potentially had the opportunity to be a part of, including Shakespeare and everything else I did over the years. So I want to do it. And this is, we're having a meeting to, to spend a three-day weekend making a short film for which everybody's going to get paid $173. But it, it, none of that matters because it's sheer brilliance. You know, and I and I want to be a part of it. We we set up a meeting to, at the old Daily Grill, which no longer exists. We're on gonna, the top yeah. floor, yeah, of course. We're gonna have lunch there, and I have this image of Damien Chazelle 
it's a it's a brilliant brilliant script obviously written by somebody who has a an inside understanding of jazz music and what it is jazz music a quintessential american art form particularly african american art form and i i hear the name damien chazelle and i'm going to this meeting and i'm looking for antoine fuqua right <laughs> i'm looking for some big tall impressive black guy with a you know beret or something. That's that's my impression of who Damien Chazelle must be, having written this, you know. And and I'm I get to the Daily Grill like right on time, and I'm looking around, and I don't see <laughs> Antoine Fuqua, <laughs> and and then this you know this skinny little kid from Jersey, you know, kind of raises his hand and go J.K. and I go, oh wow, okay, <laughs> hi Damien Chazelle, how are you? We sit down, you know, we start doing the mutual admiration thing. And one of the first things he says is, I want to I want to take the onus off of you as far as the technical aspects of this character, because I want, you know, I want you as the actor. OK, if you, you know, we'll have a technical advisor, we'll have a body double who can do the conducting in the long shots. You know, he said, don't worry about those aspects of it. And I looked at him, I'm sure, a little bit oddly. And I said, dude, I. I went to music school. I, I have a degree in music. I thought I was going to be a composer and conductor. Oh my God. And my father was a choir conductor, you know, his entire career. I said that, that, that that's, you know, and, and, and he was like, you know, there's, there's some kismet going on here. That's amazing. He also wrote it uh, with Miles Teller in mind. He didn't write it for me. He just, when, when Jason suggested me, he, he went, Oh, that's a great idea. Um, he wrote it with Miles in mind, not knowing that Miles had been playing drums in cheesy rock bands, you know, ever since he was in eighth grade. So, I mean, it, the, the combination of, of wow. uh, uh, you know, a lifetime of, of preparedness that brought the three of us together on, on that project was, uh, you know, it really was one of those just just meant to be. Were you tough to work with on that particular role? Were you were you method? Were you like, I want to be this guy. I want everybody around me to be intimidated. Uh, or were you just jovial and happy JK Simmons? Dude, we were, we had so much fun on that. Shoot. I mean, you, you, you had to, because we were, you know, we shot that whole thing in like 17 days. Oh I mean, it was insane. The budget and, and, and the, and the compression of time that that created. And fortunately Damien's brilliance and, 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 uh, uh, you know, everybody who came together on that to make it work. But I mean, you know, we're, we're shooting those, those kind of crazy, stupid 15, 16 hour days on that movie. And, and Miles, who, as we now know, you know, is an alpha, right. Is playing that, that, you know, meek character. Um, I'm playing the, you know, the character that I played. Damien is this young filmmaker who, who actually between the short, film and the feature the short film which was with johnny simmons in in the miles teller part by the way who was brilliant in a in a very different way than miles was brilliant um but but the three of us on the feature uh uh you know just just had a great time just were oh, wow. you know and 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 damien gave us the freedom as brilliant as the words were on the page uh, Damien gave us the freedom to just go off, you know, and, and improvise and, and, and do our thing. And, uh, and the combination of the, of the, the brilliance and the structure that, that he provided, but allowing for, you know, us, the self-expression that, that we both wanted to bring, um, 
I mean, it was it was magic in a bottle. And then in between takes, we, we would we just immediately dropped it, and Miles wow. Miles would go into the yeah, you know, I'm not really a pussy, uh, you know. <laughs> and uh, and we would, you know, it was a very different, oh uh, my a god, very different like fun vibe on set well we started a little late i'm gonna get your brother out here and talk yeah. about really important shit here in a minute but i just want to ask a few more quick questions um when you went up for your oscar speech was there part of you that was thinking it's about effing time or was there <laughs> because you're so humble everybody's so sweet and nice when they get these speeches and your message of the call your mom and call your mom call your mom it was just i mean it resonated but i mean were you kind of like, did you feel like, I've always felt like I didn't belong. Like I don't belong here. I don't belong in Hollywood. Did you, did you feel ever feel like I don't really belong here? I don't really belong with this or, you know, what was your oh. feelings when you went up on stage? No, I, I, I still feel like I don't belong. Yeah. Um, and I, I, I mean, I, I, I didn't, there was, there was no, you know, it's about time that ever entered my mind. And, and I've had a complicated relationship going back to childhood with, the whole concept of awards for, you know, artistic endeavors and, and, uh, you know, that that's a whole different podcast. Um, <laughs> right. but, uh, it was basically everybody that I knew who, who really understands the ins and outs of, of award season and all of that. I mean, everybody said, dude, there's no way it's not going to be you. So there was, and I had won every trophy, you know, two trophies a week in the, in the two months leading up to that. So it was, you know, it was, it was like, if they, if they say, and the Oscar goes to, and they don't say my name, I'm a schmuck, you know, because, <laughs> because that's, that's the expectation, right. you know? Um, so it was, uh, uh, you know, it was almost a relief when, when they did say it. And then, and then as had been my want that, that whole award season, you know, I, I never wrote quote unquote, wrote a speech. I didn't know exactly what I was going to say. All I knew was the the theme, you know, what I wanted to focus on, which, which in that case was, was, you know, what's really important, which is family. And, yeah. uh, started out talking about my, my wife and, and thanking her for, for everything that she is. And, and then our kids who were in the, in the balcony and, uh, and then their relationship, you know, her being such an extraordinary mother, which led me to talk about, uh, you know, my mom, our moms, everybody's mom and dad, and you know, that how important those, all those relationships are. And it was really, uh, you know, maybe the most rewarding aspect of my career that was certainly the biggest audience i was ever in front of you know uh, i mean you know a <laughs> hundred times more people saw the oscars than saw whiplash wow. so you know I was, I was reaching this broad audience and and uh, and the feedback that i got from that i mean from from comical to uh, to like deeply moving uh, to life-altering interactions that people had with their parents as a result of some you know journeyman bald character actor telling them to call their mom and dad you know it was, it was, uh, it was amazing would you do another spider-man if sam raimi approached you absolutely did you love it would do anything that sam raimi approached me with you loved working with him that okay. much i mean i mean <laughs> almost anything. almost anything uh this i mean i could talk to you for ages i mean you're just like you're incredible you're so open and and we're gonna get a little more open now i'm gonna bring on your brother Inside of you is brought to you by Nutrafol. Nutrafol is the number one dermatologist recommended hair growth supplement with over 1 million people seeing thicker, stronger, faster growing hair with less shedding. And look, hair thinning impacts a lot of us. 
myself included. In fact, over half of us will experience hair thinning at some point in our lives. It's not only common, it's normal. Join over 1 million people who are doing something about it with Nutrafol. Nutrafol helps support hair growth from within by targeting possible key root causes of thinning, stress, hormones, environment, nutrition, lifestyle, and even metabolism. Does the craziness of everyday life leave you stressed and shedding? Since having kids, have you started seeing a little more of your scalp? Has menopause impacted your hormones and your hairline? When it comes to thinning hair, there are many possible root causes at play, and Nutrafol helps address them through a multi-targeted, whole-body approach. While many supplements rely solely on ingredient studies, Nutrafol clinically tests final formulations to ensure their efficacy. In Nutrafol's own clinical studies, 72% of men saw more scalp coverage after taking Nutrafol men's hair growth supplement for six months, and 86% of women saw improved hair growth after taking Nutrafol women's hair growth supplement for six months. While many supplements rely solely on ingredient studies, Nutrafol clinically tests final formulations to ensure their efficacy. In Nutrafol's own clinical studies, 72% of men saw more scalp coverage after taking Nutrafol men's hair growth supplement for six months, and 86% of women saw improved hair growth after taking Nutrafol women's hair growth supplements for six months. Take their hair wellness quiz at Nutrafol.com for a personalized hair health plan based on your specific possible root causes. With Nutrafol, getting help building a hair growth routine is simple. Purchase online, no prescription or doctor's visits required, free shipping and automated deliveries ensure you'll never miss a day. You could see results in three to six months. Take the first step to help you see visibly thicker, healthier hair. For a limited time, Nutrafol is offering our listeners $10 off your first month subscription and free shipping when you go to Nutrafol.com and enter promo code INSIDE. Find out why 4,500 professionals and stylists recommend Nutrafol for healthier hair. Nutrafol.com, spelled N-U-T-R-A-F-O-L, Dot com promo code inside that's nutrafol.com promo code inside howdy howdy how are you david simmons i am fabulous well, uh, hello my looks like me brother. with even less hair <laughs> who's older uh, uh depends I'm on the, the day bro you're the big bro david was he a good big bro he was an excellent big brother he my favorite big brother story is he watched me sleep through a fire in our shared bedroom in Worthington, Ohio, <laughs> as he and our mutual father were beating at it with like wet towels and things and smoke was clearing and they look over and there I am. Oh my God. Sleep he, was a, he was a sound sleeper. Yes. <laughs> look, David, you're the executive director of the UBU project. I mean, you have an awesome musical career. You've been in 50, mm -hmm. all 50 states across the world. Honors graduate at the University of Montana School of Music, another school of music with your brother, uh, actor, director, teacher, artist. I mean, it goes on. Mental health advocate is the most important, probably, and keynote speaker that I, that I believe, especially for this podcast and for the world. Excellent listening i mean and by the way you, you performed with ario speedwagon that was i mean i did i did that was cool that was a, and he, he, there's a cool and even cooler thing is my very dear friend uh walt verson was their road manager at the time lots of long stories as to how we met but i had written and recorded a little demo of a song he played it for them God. they show up in the dressing room of a show i'm doing i get a text david come meet us at the stage door i walk there not quite ready to go on stage. And here I meet my high school heroes in my t-shirt and shorts. Hi, <laughs> heroes. Oh, yes. 
and they have learned a song I wrote. So we played what? that at a yeah yeah. So we played that at a an after show cabaret, which usually has ten people there. Hundred people are there, and you know they're going nuts. The, you know this it's a good song, and uh, crowd's going nuts. And I'm looking at the guys, and the, you know they're smiling. I said, "You want to do another one?" And the bass player, like a kid in a candy store, can we do Mustang Sally? <laughs> oh my god! Yes, we can. Choose a key. <laughs> Somebody count to four. <laughs> so, yeah, it. it was it was an awesome experience. Did yeah. you? What's your favorite, really quick, Ario Speedwagon song? The both of you. Uh, for me, riding the storm out without question. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I I'm I'm not going to argue. Is it weird that mine's heard it from a friend who <laughs> heard it from a friend? <laughs> Ballad pussy. Stop. <laughs> I am. You that's know me. A, I swear to that's, God. That's just another stalker song. That's right up with. Uh, Every step you take. Every step you take, yeah. yeah. <laughs> you, you know what's funny is I had Steve Lukather on the podcast, who's the, obviously the, one of the best guitarists in the world from Toto. Oh, absolutely. And he said the same thing, JK. I said, oh, I just love, um, you know, that song, Some People Live Their Dreams. He goes, oh, you're such a pussy. You like these love ballads. <laughs> he said the same thing, but I do. <laughs> All right, on to important things. All right. Um, you know, the UBU project is just, mm -hmm. it's, it's stunning. And, you know, Thank you. David, you're, you're, you're a survivor. I mean, you've, you've hit rock bottom. You know what it's like. You've been there. So there's no better person to sort of head this mission than you. And I just think it's wonderful. Why don't you just tell me a little bit something about, you know, about the project and what you're doing? Well, uh, very quickly. What, and yes, thank you. Uh, being a, a suicide attempt survivor, thriving survivor, as I, I refer to myself, is a very powerful thing. Uh, March 31st, 2009, I thought the world didn't need me anymore. And God and a bunch of doctors thought otherwise. And, you know, seven and a half weeks on a psych ward, blah, blah, blah. Fast forward to 2016 or 17. JK is, is helping me put together a new CD of music I've been writing. And I'm driving across the Phoenix Valley and I hear uh, on the radio in an interview with the statistic that the leading cause of death for youth ages 10 to 14 in the state of Arizona was suicide. Unreal. And I was I was galvanized. I thought, okay, I'm I am a, a musician. I'm a songwriter. I'm a teacher. I've done all these amazing things, and more important, I'm a survivor. I'm a recovering alcoholic. I got bullied. You know, blah blah blah. What does this all look like together? And so I thought about it for a while. Kept recording the album. J.K. sang on it, and then uh, J.K. and I and my friend Walt, who was the road manager of Ario Speedwagon, I don't believe in coincidence, but we all happened to be in L.A. Uh, when JK was filming Counterpart. Oh. And so we're hanging out in his trailer and we're talking about this thing. And he and Walt went, well, of course you need to do this. And, you know, what are we going to call it? And we came up with this name and that name. And the, the phrase UBU had been a part of my professional life before. And I thought about, and I said, what do you think? UBU project? And they went, yeah. And so what I did was was based on a model that our mutual mother used to do a lot. She was the head of uh, artists in the schools for the Montana Arts Council. And she would send, you know, theater companies or a poet or a jazz musician, you know, all of these, you know, top tier people who just got tired of the rat race and wow, paid vacation in Montana, you bet. And I created this one week residency model where I go in on a Monday, I talk to the kids, depending on the school I'm working with. Sometimes I tell a little bit of my story about uh, suicide survival and all that stuff. Sometimes I don't. It depends on what the school wants to do. 
And for a week, we had this ongoing conversation about what hope and resilience and self-compassion and empathy mean to the kids. I never defined it once for them. And at the end of the week, the whole time, and this is all wrapped in the guise of they think they're in a songwriting uh, workshop, which they are, but it's a parlor trick because they've chosen one of those four words. I call them treasure chest words. They've chosen one of those four words as the main topic of their song. And by Friday, they've written a song. Sometimes it's just a chorus and a verse, maybe a couple of verses and a bridge are thrown in there. But two of my favorite stories are there was a bunch of fifth graders. Reminder, these kids are 10 years old. They're writing a song about hope. And I use, uh, this makes me sound a lot more educated than I am. <laughs> I use Shakespeare's sonnet structure as my songwriting structure because it's easy. Um, you know, four sentences, you know, four lines in any verse, 10 syllables per line. There's a rhyme scheme. The kids have a framework to hang their creativity. And so I say, okay, all right, we're talking about hope and this, that, da, da, da. what's a good, you know, opening sentence. What's a, what's the opening line of our song that is just going to make the audience, you know, oh my God, I need to hear more. And this one girl raised her hand and I could see by her face, she had lived a lot more in 10 years than I had in 60. And she said, I hope that I get over my depression. And I said, okay, I understand that. I live with, you know, depression, you know, uh, post-traumatic stress disorder, anxiety. I, I work with a therapist all the time. Are you seeing someone? Yes, blah, blah, blah. I congratulated her, told her I was proud. I said, okay, great. Now, is it your depression? Does it define you? Or is it just something you have to deal with? And she thought for a second and she said, no, it doesn't define me. I said, good, because your sentence is 11 syllables long and we need to get rid of one syllable. What's one syllable that we can get rid of? And she said, let's get rid of my let's do. Wow. And so, again, room full of 10-year-olds came up with, and of course, it's an 80s power ballad because that's the style they chose <laughs> yeah. for it. Yeah. <laughs> and they came up with, I hope that I get over depression because it makes me not love myself yet. That is definitely my conclusion. That's why I need some time to have a rest. 10-year-olds are teaching me about life balance. In the chorus, they came up with shine as sort of the the, the go-to go thing. Shine, hope shines light on, on depression. Shine, hope shines giving me compassion. Shine, hope takes away my obsession. And then I'm going, okay, we need one more, one more. And this little kid, like Horshack and Welcome Back Cotter back in the 70s. Oh, Mr. David, Mr. David, Mr. David. What? And you know, I could see the words coming from his brain to out his mouth. He goes, hope shines light on depression like a diamond. But dude, wow. 40 years of writing songs. Never once have I come up with a mic drop like that. I'm surprised Jay-Z didn't come up with that. just happens wow. to be on my new album that's coming out in a couple of weeks. I mean, it, it's amazing. I mean, you're pretty oh, much yeah. saying that music is saving lives. Absolutely. That, you know, so the UBU project augments a school's existing curriculum with songwriting music to help students address difficult topics. Um. You know, it's amazing because I've always dealt with depression and anxiety mm -hmm. and I've hit lows. I haven't hit as low as obviously you have gone. Thank God. Man. But I had those thoughts and then I said, whoa, mm -hmm. stop it. Stop it. But, you know, tell me just a little bit about were you depressed growing up? When did this sort of happen? When did it hit you? When were you aware of it? And JK, when were you aware that your brother was struggling? Um, probably when I slept through a fire in our bedroom. Um, but I, uh, that's a great question. I wasn't really aware of it because, you know, as JK will attest, as our sister will too, we had a great childhood. Parents, amazing, supportive, beautiful. 
we figured out while I was on the psych ward after my attempt in 2009 that there was something that happened in my childhood around age nine or 10 that my child brain couldn't deal with. I blocked you know? it. And yeah, and it could, you know, it can be anything as simple as, you know, a kid said something mean in the cafeteria to, you know, I got beat up by a family member. And it was neither of those two things because I never talk about the specifics. But my brain, you know, the incident happened here and my brain just kept spiraling the rest of my life. And so in the hospital, they died, they went through a variety of diagnoses and they finally landed on major depressive disorder recurrence. And I was already dealing with free floating anxiety and, and PTSD. And they figured out, um, and JK, remember my 50th birthday on the psych ward? Super fun. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> oh my God. Great time. Um, and, uh, <laughs> uh, <laughs> and our mutual sister, who's sort of the family historian, among other things, had put together a, you're 50, here's David Simmons, here is your life scrapbook. Because, you know, we had been planning on celebrating my birthday. Not on the psych ward, but, you know, and, but while I was there and looking at that, at that, uh, at that scrapbook, you know, pictures from, you know, birth to almost death. And uh, they figured out that I had been dealing with untreated major depressive disorder since I was 10. And it was just untreated, untreated, therapist, therapist, never quite figuring it out. And then after my attempt and, and getting out of the hospital, and the arts, by the way, saved my life, literally. I mean, my, you know, my brother was a huge part of it because I remember um, they called my wife at the time uh, and said, what can we do for him? And, and she said, just talk to him. And I remember one, I don't know if you remember this, Kim, one specific phone call where he called and it was an hour of him going, um, I, uh, well, uh, how about them tigers <laughs> keep oh. this guy, some synapses firing. And then a producer, uh, three months out of the psych ward hired me to do a national tour. It was a small role. And while I was on that tour, he had also hired me to play Theodore Roosevelt in a one person show. And so on that tour, I memorized a, a one hour script. And it was that process that got new synapses firing and things like that. So, you know, I look back to something as early as at my 50th birthday on the psych ward, JK bought me a guitar. And that was one of the tools I used as I was recovering on, on the ward. Yeah. And kept playing and I would do these tours that weren't guitar tours, you know, they were, you know, sort of traditional musical comedy, which is great, but I was all, I would always have a guitar with me. Yeah. You know, and then, you know, uh, like I said, 2017 or so I was galvanized to, I knew I had to do something. I had to take all my experiences, all my training, everything and focus it on something that to this day, I haven't found another organization that does what we do. There's a lot of great organizations out there, but yeah. Uh, it, it amazes me. I, I think people don't think about uh, not just themselves when they go through this and it's all mm -hmm. the horrors that I'm going through, but what weight it puts on family. So JK, oh. what was, were you shell shocked? Was it something that you had any inkling of like knowing that he was suffering or dealing with this stuff? What was, what were your emotions like? Well, we, uh, you're talking about that 50th birthday in the psych ward. I mean that, you know, off and on over the years. And of course you look back, he's 10, I'm 14, you know, and, and, and we were a lot of the time that we were growing up, you know, we were in very different circles. You know, we almost never went to 
the same school together until we were, uh, because it took me forever to graduate college, <laughs> until we ended up as, as college class, uh, not classmates, but together at the University of Montana. Um, so, so, you know, I'm 14 years old. I'm this, uh, you know, I'm adolescent consumed with all the things that adolescents are consumed with. And my little brother is just my little brother. He's just this little kid who's always been there. And, you know, sometimes he's a pain in the ass and sometimes we're having fun together. But, uh, but he's, you know, he's enough younger that, that we're in di completely different, like social spheres, you know, um, it's easy to look back now and, and see, you know, that he, that he has off and on been troubled and that there have been times when that's gotten the best of him as it does almost all of us, you know, at one time or another. And, and then, you know, some of this, some of the stuff he, he lived through as an adult, some of the, uh, the difficulties, the heartbreaks, the, uh, um, the problems that again, you know, in and of themselves, uh, are, are, uh, I don't want to say unremarkable, but, but I mean, you know, we all go through shit, right. And, um, and, and your proclivity, your, 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 your mental health, you know, is affected, uh, to a different degree, depending on a, a, a variety of things. Obviously none of us, even, even during, times of, of, you know, particularly sort of tempestuous times when there was concern about is David okay, you know, it, it never occurred to any of us how not okay he was at that time. And, uh, and when you have a family, you know, a, a birth family that's as, as loving and as close knit as, as we were with our parents and, and our parents who were also like the world's best grandparents, uh, um, you know, David has a son. I have two kids. Our, our sister has three kids uh, and now multiple grandkids. Um, you know, for us all to be just completely gobsmacked by that and, and you know, having already made plans to go to Minnesota and, and celebrate his, his 50th, you know, big milestone birthday. And then, yeah, finding ourselves there with this with this shell of a human being, you know, who was, uh, uh, you know. I mean, you, you, something that I hadn't seen, uh, uh, you know, made, made me made me understand and appreciate uh, some of the good work in Cuckoo's Nest more so <laughs> because because, you know, to look at your brother's eyes and and not see your brother um, was uh, uh, difficult and and uh, and sobering. And and uh, I think as is the case for a lot of people, when when someone you love is in that level of of uh pain and difficulty you know you uh we all tend to blame ourselves to some extent you know how, how did i not see that you know how you know how how am i so self-consumed that uh, uh you know that i don't see the pain of those around me and and you know coming full circle that's one of the things that he's teaching now uh to these kids who just think they're having fun writing songs for a week you know uh, you know, one of the tools he's he's giving them is that not only that that self empathy, um, but but you know the compassion. I mean, we joke about it, but it's but it's an absolutely true phrase to say that he's saving the world one kid at a time, and and every week that he's out there doing that, he's so you know that ripple effect, that butterfly effect is is kicking in, and uh, and he's having effect on the lives of people that he'll never meet. That's beautiful. You know, I. Uh... 
David, a few minutes ago when you were talking about how you block, you have a tendency as a child to block out those really dark times somehow mm -hmm. to protect yourself. I think that's what the body does. I had an experience where, you know, I, I was in a situation where it was, it was uncomfortable where I was, I was almost molested to the point where it was, it was a dark, scary story. I won't get you into that, but I, I escaped. And I was supposed to be at my grandparents' bungalow up, upstate. Like I was a little boy and I was just like a few bungalows away. And uh, I remember I had an hour and it would only been like 35 minutes. But I knew as a little boy, as an eight-year-old kid maybe, that I can't go into the bungalow to my grandparents right now and because they can't see the way I am right now because I was so shook. Mm. Somehow I knew and I, I had to gather myself. And I remember sitting behind this tree for like 30 minutes to compose myself wow. and went in. And from that day, I blocked that moment out for 20 years. And um, I, so I, I know what it's like to be a child who feels like they don't want to be shamed or it's their fault. And that's why I didn't tell anybody. And even though nothing really happened, it still devastated me. And Absolutely. I, and I, and I, and I didn't. And I think a lot of kids deal with not only that, you know, bullying and molestation, whatever it is, um, dysfunctional families. And we block out a lot of stuff and it resurfaces when we get older and it's how we deal with it. So, you know, it's, um, to be able to get kids at a young age to sort of be in touch with their feelings is not an easy task. And it seems like through music, you're able to at least break, break the, the surface or whatever and, and tap into a little bit to give them some comfort and kind of healing. Well, and that's, sorry, I'm, I'm butting in here, but that that's the brilliance of, of what David has, uh, uh, has designated as the toolkit. You know, he's giving, he gives these kids tools, uh, to, uh, which again, they think is, is about, you know, songwriting uh, and it is, and they, <laughs> there have been some great songs <laughs> yeah, that have yeah. come out of it. Uh, but you know, he's, he's giving them the tools to, to dig out of, you know, whatever hole it is that they're in. And, uh, and, and again, having that, having that effect on, on a, a number of kids on a weekly basis. Didn't this, didn't this organization, this foundation sort of start and, and how many kids have joined to, isn't it like something astounding, like 7,000 kids now are part of a program or something. Tell me if I'm wrong. Right. Um, it's uh, it, it's not like a traditional arts program where I work with all these arts kids. Uh, our wheelhouse is, you know, Mrs. McGillicuddy's fourth grade classroom. And there may be a couple of artsy kids in there, but it's mostly creating common ground in a safe space. So kids with no experience or lots of experience feel safe and comfortable creating all this stuff. Uh, we started in our hometown of Missoula, Montana in September of 2018. We're coming up on our fifth year we have in the classroom itself, one-on-one, -on -one, you know, in the classroom with kids, that specifically we're at about 5,000. But if you include all the virtual work we did during the, uh, the pandemic, conferences uh, and things like that, we're at about 15 to 20,000 people who have experienced, you know, some call it a toolkit. I refer to it as a treasure chest because yeah. it's something the kids already have. And I say, you know, it's already there. And, you know, I work with kids in juvenile detention. A lot of them say, I have no hope. And I say, yeah, you do. You just don't know where it is. And we're going to try and find it. 
I and very quickly, it. speaking of cool songs, this is also on my new album. Um, <laughs> the kids I worked with in juvenile detention wrote a tune called Don't Give Up on Life about resilience. And one of the things I do, all the Spanish I know, I have learned from my students. And so if I have a number of uh, bilingual students, I'll say, let's translate this or what do you want to do? And so they came up with uh, the chorus they came up with was, and I also learned a new style called jalea, which is a kind of Mexican music. And the, the chorus of their song was, is, don't give up on life, everything will change. Ch don't give up on life, everything will change. En la vida no te rindas, anything can be the light. If you push through and fight, don't give up on life. En la vida no te rindas. Oh. And then in the recording, I do my best, you know, that Chief is... Carlos Santana. But yeah, yeah. That's These beautiful. are a bunch of kids. And I got a note from a kid. I'm getting goosebumps. You can't fake goosebumps. I got a note from a kid in juvie. Uh, his first name is Eddie. Uh, I can say that. And it was a, instead of, a, you know, one of the notes we got from a junior high kid was lately I've been th like, thinking of killing myself, but you teach me about hope. You know, what do you do with that? It's... But this kid wrote this long letter of Dear D Dave, because we're pals now. Dear Dave, I've been thinking a lot about what you talked about, and I get it now. I understand hope. And my plan is 10 years from now when I'm out of here, I'm going to prove them wrong. I'm going to prove the people wrong who told me I'd end up in prison like my birth parents. I'm going to show up at their door with my wife and my kids and my job and say, I'm proving you wrong. I made something of myself. And I'm like, good Lord, you know, that's my yeah. Christmas bonus. This you is know, an outlet. This is another outlet absolutely. that I don't think a lot of people are aware of. And I'm so happy and glad and, you know, just thankful that you came up with this idea and that you're working to help these children around the world with this, because I think it's something that's ignored. I didn't know these statistics. I didn't know 10 years yeah. old to 14 suicidal. How could it be that? Much? It's just overwhelming. So mm -hmm. first, uh, lastly, to let you guys go, and I, I know you got to go, mm -hmm. but the benefit is the UBU project to prevent youth suicide, addiction, and bullying. It's the second annual light your corner of the world with JK Simmons and David Simmons. Um, the date is Saturday, January 28th. It's coming up very soon. So you, you really need to go. It's at 730 at the Desert Stages Theater in Scottsville uh, at the Fashion Square. You can go to www.desertstages.org. It's spelled D-E-S-E-R-T because I would have spelled it dessert. Stages.org. 480-483-1664. This is a beautiful thing. We're going to post this. We're going to get awareness out there. Um, I love the both of you. I, I, I don't even know you, but I feel like, you know, you guys are just remarkable human beings. Thanks for your stories. Thanks for, uh, just being you and, um, helping, uh, helping people, you know, that's it. Let me just wedge in there that anybody that can't get to Scottsdale on January 28th, you can just go to the, uh, UBU project online and, uh, find ways that, that you can help. Yeah, please go. Please go. There's a lot of people listening, a lot of them that deal with mental, you know, you know, illnesses and 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 just, you know, I know they're going to love this episode. This is just an important one. So thank you, JK. Thank you, David. Thank you. And uh, uh, all my love to you both. Thank you, Michael. And all my love to both of you, especially JK. And I'll see you in a couple of weeks. Love you, my brother. See you soon. <laughs> love you. Bye, guys. Inside of You is brought to you by Rocket Money. If you want to save money, listen up. <laughs> I don't know how, how to tell you this other than this really works. Ryan went through this. Mm -hmm. We have so many unwanted subscriptions that we forget we have. 
And, uh, you know, there's so many apps nowadays that we just get lost. And, you know, I'm not very app savvy. And, you know, I'll watch a streamer. And then the next thing I know, I forget that I just watched one show and I'm still subscribed to this after six months with Rocket Money they take care of you. Rocket Money is a personal finance app that finds and cancels your unwanted subscriptions, monitors your spending, and helps lower your bills so that you can grow your savings. Why don't you say, did you know that nearly 75% and end at... Did you know that nearly 75% of people have subscriptions they've forgotten about? Yeah, I'm one of those people, Ryan. And between streaming services, fitness apps, delivery services, it's never ending. Thanks to Rocket Money, I'm no longer wasting money on the ones I forgot about. With Rocket Money, I have full control over my subscriptions and a clear view of my expenses. I could see all of my subscriptions in one place, and if I see something I don't want, Rocket Money can help me cancel it with just a few taps. I love the dashboard and how it shows me this month's spending compared to last month. I like doing that. Uh, so I can clearly see my spending habits. Plus, they'll help me create a custom budget and keep my spending on track. Rocket Money will even try to negotiate lowering your bills for you by up to 20%. All you have to do is submit a picture of your bill and Rocket Money takes care of the rest. They'll deal with the customer service for you. Rocket Money has over 5 million users and has saved a total of $500 million in canceled subscriptions. That's simply astonishing. Saving members up to $740 a year when using all of the app's features. So stop wasting money on things you don't use. Cancel your unwanted subscriptions by going to rocketmoney.com slash inside. That's rocketmoney.com slash inside. Rocketmoney.com slash inside. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. I don't know how many times I have to talk about this, but it's so important. If you're sitting there right now and you're stressed or you're anxious or you have a lot on your mind and you just bottle it up and you don't know what to do, it's going to come out and it's not going to come out in great ways all the time. Um, BetterHelp has helped me substantially. Ryan here has been using it for a while. And I, you know, don't you notice when you don't use BetterHelp? When you don't have therapy. Oh, the weeks where I miss a session? Of course, yeah. Yeah, it's just, it's, it's, it's like the more you talk about something, even if you don't think you have anything to talk about, things come up and it puts your mind at ease. And we all carry around different stressors, you know, big and small. And at times we keep carrying them around rather than processing them and letting them go. When we keep them bottled up, it can start to affect us negatively. Therapy is a safe space to get things off your chest and figure out how to work through whatever's weighing you down. Therapy from BetterHelp is helpful for learning positive coping skills and how to set boundaries. It empowers you to be the best version of yourself. It isn't just for those who've experienced major trauma. It's for all of us. If you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online, designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Just fill out a brief questionnaire and get matched with a licensed therapist and switch therapists anytime for no additional charge. I think people think, oh, what if I don't like my therapist? If you don't, you switch them. It's that easy. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com inside today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash inside well not only was it a great interview but a great cause yeah you know it's a it's a beautiful thing i i was stunned by that um that statistic that um the deaths in arizona ages 10 to 14 the number one cause was suicide that's terrible and uh yeah 
but hearing them guys, these guys talk about it. And I just think it's, you know, we think therapy, you know, I always promote better help therapy, which is amazing and exercise and all these things and maybe seeing a psychiatrist and getting the right meds and all these things that you can do. But then you start doing something with what they do, this organization, UBU, which is, um, it's a creative thing. It's, it's, it's getting someone who doesn't necessarily have to have any music background at all and learning how to be creative and, and, and just writing lyrics and speaking from their heart and writing down th and creating things that they didn't think they could create. And, um, it's kind of exploded, um, like this organization and, uh, so it's just awesome. JK and David, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. And uh, yeah, that's about all I have to say about that. Um, it's good. He's a legend. He's a legend. What a get. What a get. Great episode coming up next week, too. We've got a lot of great guests coming up this year, and I hope people continue to tune in, keep this podcast going. If not, I'll have to take down all these posters and make this into a bedroom or something. <laughs> it's not a podcast room anymore. But uh, thanks for all the support and a uh, big shout out to all my patrons. Um, they really support this podcast. They, without them, I couldn't do it. Go to patreon.com slash inside of you. Become a patron today. There's top tiers. One of the tiers is I send you packages, gift packages every couple of months and a little note from me. And there's uh, Q&As with me online. We do a private YouTube for all the patrons. And there's a bunch of stuff there. So go to patreon.com slash inside of you. I'll message you as soon as I can thanking you and uh, – yeah, we really need the patrons to, to keep this thing going. So I, I can't thank you guys enough. And without further ado, why don't we get into the top tier patrons, Ryan? Okay. Should we do that? Yeah, let's do it. Let's do it. Nancy D, Leah. S. Sarah. V. Little. Lisa. You. Kiko. Jill. E. Brian. H. Nico. P. Robert. C. B. Correct. Jason. <laughs> w. Sophie. M. Kristen. K. Raj. C. Joshua. D. Jennifer. N. Stacy. L. Jamal. F. Janelle. B. Kimberly. E. Mike. E. L. Don. Supremo. 99. More. Santiago. M. Chad. D. W. <laughs> D. W. Chad W. <laughs> Leanne. Uh, P. Janine. R. Maya. P. Maddie. S. Belinda. N. Chris. N. T. O. Chris H Dave H Sheila G Brad D Ray H H Harada Tabitha T Good good going here Tom N Liliana A Talia M Betsy R D I own I own Luther Corp That's a new one I, I own Luther one. Corp What's up Dan uh, A S N yes and Angel <laughs> M Rhiannon C Corey K Dev Nexon Michelle also K A Damn. Jeremy C Brandy R D D Camille M S S Joey I don't know M Eugene N Leah Corey Heather Think famous actress. Heather. L. Yes. Heather Locklear. Jake. Think Busey. B. Correct. <laughs> Megan. Trainer. Megan T, T. is correct. <laughs> Mel. Uh, C. S. S. Orlando. 
C. Caroline R. Christine S. Eric H. Shane R. Emma R. Andrew M. Zatuichi. I don't know. 70. 77. Uh, seven. Seven. Wow. Andreas San. N. Oh. Oracle. Karina N. Amanda R. Jen B. Kevin B. E. E. Stephanie K. Lena 82. Oh. Billy S. Jammin. Just think Jammin' Jammin'. Jammin' Jammin'. Jammin' J. Leanne. Huh. Leanne J. Correct. Huh. Luna. O. R. R. Cindy. Think Cindy. E. E. Correct. Mike. E. F. Think F. Mike Flanagan. Stone Mike H. Stone H. Think Stonehenge. Stonehenge, not Stone. Brian L. Cameron Mm-hmm. E and KDB. You you got like 90%. That was a lot. Jesus. Well, a lot of them have been here for a long time. Yes, and but you got uh, a you, lot. You, there there's there's a rhythm to it. There's a, there's a music to it. Um, We love you. We couldn't do this podcast without you. I've said it before. Thank you, patrons. Thank you, everybody, for listening. Um, Ryan? Yo. From the Hollywood Hills in Hollywood, California, I'm Michael Rosenbaum. I'm Ryan Taz. And a little wave to the camera. We love you guys, and remember, please, please, please be good to yourselves. That's the most important thing. Be good to yourself. I'll see you next week, um, and even if you don't know the guest, I know you're going to come back and visit. All right, take care. Welcome to Talkville, the ultimate Smallville rewatch podcast. Guest star Sarah Carter as Alicia Baker, although I didn't really work with her a lot. But Tom did, and they had some real big smoochy scenes. Yeah. Can we talk about that? Could there be any more sex? What was a three-page makeout scene that just kept going? Good Lord. We get it. They have chemistry. Jump in now or catch up on any of the past seasons of Talkville on YouTube or wherever you listen.